to Wendell's World in Sports. Let's be great. Let's be great. An entertaining and provocative look into the world of sports and beyond. Play our game. Play hard, but stay poised. Please feel free to go over to Apple iTunes and rate and review. Your feedback is welcome. Go rock this thing, huh? Love you, man. Let's go get it. And now, the host of the program from the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area, Wendell Wallace. Hey, Pasa, mi amigos. Mi amigo Wendell Wallace. Senor, senoritas, welcome to Wendell's World of Sports. I'm so glad that you could be with us. A lot of things to get down on in the world of sports. Konnichiwa, my brothers and sisters. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Shalom, my brothers and sisters. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Bonjour, bonsoir, monsieur, mademoiselle. Je m'appelle Wendell Wallace. Wendell's World in Sports. So glad that you could be with us. A lot of things to get down on and discuss today in the world of sports. I am revved up. I am rip-roaring, ready to go. I took a week off just just to refresh, just to rejuvenate just to re-energize, and now I'm uh, I'm ready to go. My money is all right. My mind is right. Everything is good with the world. I'm feeling good, man, so uh, let's do this. No roadblocks, no obstacles, nothing to deal with. I'm just going to go ahead and talk about what I want to talk about today in the world of sports. Don't forget, in terms of what I'm trying to do with my podcast, what I'm trying to do with the entity known as Wendell's World of Sports with yours truly, Wendell Wallace, go to my YouTube page, Wendell Wallace, W-E-N-D-E-L-L, Wallace, W-A-L-L-A-C-E, Wendell Wallace, in the YouTube page for my videos about what's going on in the world of sports. My next video is going to be talking about the NBA Finals, the legacy of LeBron James, talking about something that's going on, some things that are going on in Major League Baseball with the playoffs as I'm watching the... Well, I'm watching the Los Angeles Dodgers come back and come back strong. They've just hit another home run off the beleaguered Atlanta pitching. I guess what's the score now? 56-1 to in the second inning? It is a route among routes. So I'm going to be talking about everything that's going on with the MLB playoffs. I'm going to be speaking about what's happening in the NBA. The Los Angeles Lakers winning their 17th NBA championship, tying the Boston Celtics for the all-time franchise the record for most championships in the NBA. I am not going to be talking about, well, every time I say I'm not going to be talking about it, I subsequently always talk about the comparisons between Michael Jordan and LeBron James. This is the LeBron James fourth MVP award. So yes, before the ink is dry, before Adam Silver can hand over the NBA trophy to the organization, people are already coming out talking about, yeah, big fucking deal. LeBron this, he'll never be Jordan four and six. He's not six and no, he didn't win six MVPs, blah, blah, blah. Jordan's still the greatest. Nothing can LeBron do to have him become the greatest or be better, better than Michael Jordan. Again, for all those people, I say, shut the fuck up is one of the stupidest arguments I've ever heard. I understand why people do it, but it's still the absolute dumbest, asinine conversation discussion that you can have. I don't give a flying fuck who is a better basketball player or who is considered the greatest basketball player between the two. I don't care. It's 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 impossible. You have your section of folks who say that Jordan, Jordan, Jordan. You have the other section of folks that say LeBron, LeBron, LeBron. You have other sections of folks that say Kareem, Kareem, Kareem. You have the older generation that might scream out Oscar, 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 or Bill, 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 or Wilt, Wilt, Wilt. Whatever your definition is of the greatest basketball player of all time, that's fine. Your definition might be a lot different than someone 
someone else's definition, then someone else's definition, then someone else's definition. So to sit there and say Jordan is better than Kareem or Jordan is better than Wills or Jordan is better than LeBron or LeBron is better than Oscar or Oscar is better than anybody else. It's just asinine. It's just ridiculous. It's just a waste of time. It just blows my mind. Let's put it this way. When they do roll call, when the VIP comes, when you're sitting in the front section, when they start calling as far as who's the greatest basketball players of all the time, all time to sit at that table, both LeBron and Michael Jordan's name can be called. So those guys along with the Wilt, those guys along with uh, um, uh, Bill Russell and Wilt Chamberlain and Magic Johnson and Larry Bird and Rick Barry, and all of these guys, Kevin McHale, whoever you want to put in as the greatest basketball players of all time, they're going to be sitting at that table. How big is that table? That's up to you. How many people you want to invite? That's up to you. If you want to put, if you want to have the roll call saying MJ first, that's up to you. I don't give a fuck. All of those guys are fantastic players. All of those guys are all-time great. And if you're speaking, narrowing it down to even more, to Jordan and LeBron and Magic and Bill Russell and Kareem and Wilt Chamberlain, that's out of my pay scale. That's above my thinking process to term to try to see who's the greatest basketball player amongst those guys. Different era, different game, different rules, different everything. And again, you want to go by championships, well, then the greatest basketball player of all time is Bill Russell. If you want to talk about points, then Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is the greatest basketball player of all time. If you want to talk about sneaker endorsements and what they did to build brands, then uh, Michael Jordan is the greatest basketball player of all time. If you want to talk about the most unique talent on the basketball floor that's ever been as a basketball player, then Magic Johnson and LeBron James could be your definition of who is the greatest basketball player is of all time. But to sit there I, I just don't want to, you know, discuss it. So those are some of the things that I'm going to be talking about on my YouTube video podcast. Going to stay away mostly from the NFL. The NFL, as far as the speaking about what happened this past weekend, that's going to be mainly set aside for this podcast. But for my video uh, podcast, I'm going to be talking about the Los Angeles Lakers winning their 17th championship, what it means for LeBron James. Also talk about, you know, I'm, I got an audio book. It's called Three Ring Circus. It's by um, Jeff Perlman. He does a really good job. He reads, he writes a lot of uh, books about the Lakers. I read his uh, book before speaking about the Lakers dynasty, and it was fantastic. He, the guy's really, really good. And he was speaking about the years that the Lakers won three NBA championships. I guess they're going to be going into a, the fourth on the audio book. I've gotten to the point where they've won their third consecutive championship. I believe it was 2001 or 2002 when they beat the New Jersey Nets after their difficult battle in the Western Conference Finals against the Sacramento Kings. But, um, you know, they were talking about the relationship between, you know, basically up to the point of what I'm listening to now on the audiobook, the relationship between the Laker players, Kareem, um, uh, Shaquille O'Neal, who should also be mentioned as one of the greatest basketball players who's ever lived, and another guy who should be mentioned as one of the greatest basketball players who's ever lived, if you want to put them in the first class, first seat, first table, first section, VIP section, whatever, Kobe Bryant. And it's just amazing. Kobe's no longer with us. Of course, him and his beautiful daughter are perishing in that helicopter crash. But reading the first few years, four or five years of the Kobe Bryant um, career with the Los Angeles Lakers, 
I don't think there has been a bigger dick. I don't think there's been a bigger asshole. I don't think there's been a. I don't think there's ever been a more narcissistic, selfish son of a bitch who was hated more by his players, or at least misunderstood by his players than Kobe Bryant. And the person who attributed a lot of that angst and venom and opinion of who he was was Kobe Bryant. Now you can speak about, you know, this guy came into the league early and his upbringing was a little bit unique and all of these type of things and he was wired differently and all that type of stuff. Bullshit. The guy was a fucking asshole. The guy was a prick. The guy was uh, coddled. The guy was entitled. And the guy was just an arrogant asshole prick. A selfish, arrogant piece of shit. Kobe Bryant, his first four, five, six years in the league, without question. No wonder that motherfucker didn't have any friends. The guy was a piece of shit. Didn't know who he was as a human being. Tried to be something that he wasn't. Played off, didn't go well with his teammates at all. I mean, if you read the book, you just, you just, after every Kobe Bryant instance, you walk away or you, in your mind you're saying, man, that guy's a fucking dick. Or, man, one of those motherfuckers should have whipped his ass. I mean, you're like, you're reading, or I'm listening, and all the shit he's doing and saying and talking is like, why didn't Shaquille O'Neal, and a couple of times he tried to, why didn't they just let Shaquille O'Neal go and just have him whip his ass? Why didn't they let Samarki Walker whip his ass? Why didn't they let Mike Pemberthy whip his ass? Because that's what he needed. He needed consistent ass whooping to finally uh, get to the point where he was. And I'm saying all that to say the transformation from that Kobe Bryant to the Kobe Bryant at the end of his career and beyond and to when he finally died, the maturation, the growth of that human being was unfucking believable You know, dealing with it in real, real time, 20 years I've known the Kobe Bryant, you know, I've, you know, Kobe Bryant's Kobe Bryant. You know, I've been around cognizant and everything of his 20-year career with the Lakers and everything in terms of the human being that he was from the outside looking in. I didn't know Kobe personally. I never had a conversation with Kobe. So the human being on a more intimate level than just what I know from the media and putting a camera in front of his face or him speaking in a microphone or those type of things. I I really don't know the man well enough, you know, to really, you know, but um, just the transformation from when he first came into the NBA to his last day on earth. I mean, his maturation, his growth as a human being was fucking outstanding, astonishing, unfucking believable. It's like somebody needs to make a movie. Somebody needs to make a movie about that man's life because it's, 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 Hollywood-ish in terms of where it began, how it was going, how it plateaued, and then how it ended. It's it's rocky. It's it's unbelievable. It's absolutely unbelievable. So the whole thing, why did they even go into about Kobe Bryant? Well, the reason why I wanted to go into Kobe Bryant, I'm just really fascinated. That's one of the reasons why I didn't do a podcast last week. I was so enthralled with this uh, autobiography or this book I was listening to that, uh, you know, when it, my, when it came time to actually sit down and start preparing, I was too busy listening to this and really getting into it. But uh, yeah, The Three Ring Circus by Jeff Perlman. You can get it on its audio book and you can, um, you know, get it wherever you get your books or Amazon or whatever. But it, it was just, it was just very, very unique. And the reason why I say all this is because on my YouTube channel, 
I'm going to be speaking about, you know, because how do you handle the Kobe Bryant deal in terms of the Lakers winning the NBA championship and this crazy year, over 350 days that the uh, league was uh, happening this season, the most unique season I think the NBA will ever have and definitely the most unique season the NBA has had in its long history. And I'm not one of those guys where, you know, because I remember when Jerome Brown of the Philadelphia Eagles back in the 90s when he died in a car accident and the Philadelphia, you know, players and everything uh, were, you know, Mike Golick and Randall Cunningham and um, Reggie White and those guys were talking about, we need to dedicate this season to um, Jerome Brown. And it's kind of my first thing where I was kind of like, you know, I'm I'm kind of turned off by that. I, I don't really believe in... Oh, you know, we got to do this for Kobe because Kobe's watching down on us and Kobe's going to be proud of us. So we're going to do it for him. We're going to do it for him. We're going to do it for him. Hey, let me tell you something, man. I think right now up in heaven, Kobe is the last thing Kobe Bryant is worried about right now is whether the Los Angeles Lakers are winning an NBA championship. I'm quite sure that, you know, he got the news and he's like, that's great. That's wonderful. But right now, Kobe Bryant, I don't know right now. I don't know what time it is in heaven time. But I'm quite sure he's getting ready to, you know, participate in the, you know, Heavenly Basketball Association. So right now, he's trying to dunk over Wilt Chamberlain. Right now, he's trying to take Maurice Stokes off the dribble. Right now, he's trying to uh, guard Len Bias. Right now, he's trying to see what he can do to acquire Reggie Lewis. Right now, he's up there talking to Coach John Thompson to see what they're going to do to go against Red Auerbach's uh, uh, team up in heaven. So right now, and he also has to take care of his daughter, who's up there in heaven uh, and an angel amongst. I don't know if she's cheerleading. I'm quite sure that she's playing up there in her league right now up in heaven. So Kobe Bryant right now up in heaven is not worried about the Los Angeles Lakers. He thinks that's great. And he thinks it's wonderful. But, uh, you know, he's doing his own thing. He's doing his own thing right now up in heaven. So I'm quite sure he would be proud and all those type of things. But, you know, if, if Kobe Bryant has the ability to go ahead and be watching over the Los Angeles Lakers, 99% of his time is going to be... Uh, dedicated and acquired to watching over Vanessa and his four other kids or three other kids that are still on this lousy planet um, right now. So I've always felt a little like, you know, oh, yeah, we got to do this for Kobe. And I hear Kobe's voice in every day and this, that, and the other. Like, yeah, Kobe's got other things to do up in heaven. And Kobe's got other situations that he's dealing with. His spirit is uh, his spirit is up there doing his own thing. So those are just some of the things that I'm going to be speaking about in my YouTube channel podcast. So go over. I'll be putting that down in the next 48, 72 hours. So so go over there and check that out. So Wendell Wallace, W-E-N-D-E-L-L-W-A-L-L-A-C-E. That is the YouTube channel to check out what's going on as far as what I'm doing. You can see this handsome face. I don't know if I'm going to get a haircut or not because the hair on my head needs to be G-O-N-E gone. But, uh, yeah, you know, it's just going to be good looking on me, saying what I need to say, doing what I need to do, preaching what I need to preach, speaking what I need to be spoke on when it comes to the world of sports and beyond. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. Bonjour, mademoiselle. Um, Let's get back to some things. Let's get back to this podcast, though, um, because it's going to be like NFL. So here we go, y'all. Oh, yeah, I forgot breaking news. About five minutes before I came to do this podcast, to record this podcast on a Wednesday afternoon, Nick Saban has come down with COVID-19. Lord, I hope he's all right. And um, 
the situation between Georgia and Alabama, the football game on Saturday, which, in fact, I will be speaking about on my YouTube channel. Yeah, that's going to be a jeopardy. I don't know exactly what's going on with that, but I haven't even spoke about college football, so I'll be speaking about that on my YouTube channel as well. But, you know, getting back to uh, what's going on in the NFL. Yeah, man, life in the NFL with COVID is crazy. It's wild. It's uh, something else. The NFL has already rescheduled eight games. They've affected the New England Patriots and the Denver Broncos, the KC defending champions, the Buffalo Bills, the Miami Dolphins, the New York Jets, the Los Angeles Chargers, the Jacksonville Jaguars, and more teams to come, I'm quite sure, in the near and far future. If you just think about some of the changes that have happened in the schedule, the Kansas City uh, defending champions matchup game with the Buffalo Bills in Week 6, that's been moved from a Thursday this uh, this coming October 15th, that's been moved from this upcoming Thursday to Monday at 5 p.m., which is going to be shown on Fox, the New York Jets versus the Miami Dolphins. That game has been moved from Week 10 to Week 6 at 4.05 Eastern Standard Time. The Jets' original Week 6 matchup between the Los Angeles Chargers, that was moved to Week 11 on Sunday, November 22nd at 4.05 Eastern Standard Time. Hey, man, fucking pay attention because you know there's going to be a quiz on this, right? Thank you. Don't be wandering and looking though somewhere else. Um, let me see here. Getting back to Jacksonville Jaguars, their game at the Los Angeles Chargers. That was moved from week eight to week seven on Sunday, October 25th at 425. The Chargers at Broncos game, that's been moved from week 11 to week eight. The Chargers game against the Miami Dolphins have been moved to week seven to week 10 on Sunday. So the Dolphins and Broncos game from week six, that's going to be moved to week 11. Good Lord, have mercy. When will it stop? When will it end? I just turn on the Red Zone channel every Sunday and just plop down on my, plop my fat ass down on the couch, get my brownies, get my breakfast, get my soda, get everything else I'm going to be chomping on and just see who exactly is going to be playing because there's so many moving parts. That I don't know. I don't know how people can catch up with this. The New England Patriots, their game with the Denver Broncos this past week, uh, weekend was rescheduled again. The game that had been rescheduled to Monday is now being moved to next Sunday after the Patriots had one new positive test for the coronavirus Sunday morning. Aside from the one positive test, though, all the other Patriot tests were negative that Sunday morning, so I guess it was A-OK to go ahead and schedule the game. The NFL shut down the Patriots facility Sunday morning for the third time in 10 days. While further testing is conducted, the Patriots had reopened their facility and held a practice Saturday after the facility was closed on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Now, as we know, the two main players, both on offense and defense for the Patriots, quarterback Cam Newton, cornerback Stephon Gilmore, and some practice squad guy, defensive tackle Bill Murray, no, not that Bill Murray, the other Bill Murray from the Patriots, were currently on the reserve COVID-19 list. So, I mean, you're speaking about Cam Newton. He had his test come back on October 3rd, which was when the Patriots were scheduled to travel to Kansas City for a game against the defending champs the next day, and the facility was shut down. The players and coaches were sent home. Cam didn't play. New England looked terrible from the quarterback position a loss to the defending champs 26 to 10 now newton had been moved off of the COVID reserved list and is cleared to play against uh, denver so gilmore played every snap against the uh, defending champs he tested positive for COVID 19 two days after that and he was part of the group that was in close contact with newton who flew on a separate plane to kansas city remember that where you know non-covid guys went with guys who 
uh, in one plane and guys who might be COVID went on another plane. So this is just crazy, man. This is just absolutely crazy on what's going down in the NFL. And it's just like a revolving door. But, you know, with everything that's going on, we don't know exactly how this is going to end. We don't know how many weeks this is going to be. We don't know if the Super Bowl is going to come off in time. We don't know if there's even going to be a Super Bowl. We don't know if there's going to be a Week 18. We don't know if any of these guys or any of these franchises are going to be able to play all of their games. One team, one organization franchise might play 14 games. Another franchise might play 12 games. Another franchise might play 15 or 16 games. We don't know. We have no idea because the cases of people testing positive or coronavirus cases are now growing. And as we see this society, and I'm only speaking about this country, the U.S. of A, and we see the cases moving upward, and we see people's ignorance, and we see people's hubris, and we see people's arrogance, and we see people's attitude toward the coronavirus. Hey, I'm telling you guys right now, we're not out of this. We're not out of this. And for this fucking idiot who has, who was running the country, this stupid ass goes ahead and gets COVID, comes back and takes his takes his uh, mask off and then talks some stupid ass bullshit like, oh yeah, this is great. Don't be afraid. Don't let it ruin your life. I haven't felt this great in 20 years. You know his fucking morons who follow that idiot's going to be up there being irresponsible. There was a couple of games ago. Oh my goodness. It was the Cowboys, Dallas Cowboys versus the Atlanta Falcons. And these Stadiums now are, or these organizations are allowing some fans back into the stadium. Of course, not anywhere near the capacity, but, you know, in a 65,000-seat stadium, you have 10,000, 15,000, 17,000 people are, are just spread around. I mean, when you're speaking about the Cowboys Stadium, for instance, as an example, and you see how large that stadium is, the 17, 20,000 people is not something where it's like, oh my goodness, everybody's lost their mind on what they should be doing concerning this virus. But I was watching that game and they would show as Dallas was making their comeback against the Falcons and they were showing shots of the fans, the stands going nuts every time they scored. One thing that I didn't see, I didn't see anything closely resembling responsible dealings with this virus. People bunched up together, People weren't wearing the mask. People hooting and hollering. So after hooting and hollering, the spittle's coming out of their mouth. And that airborne is, you know, that virus is airborne and all that kind of stuff. And I'm just sitting up there thinking to myself saying, we ain't ready. We ain't ready. And I don't know how long it's going to be until we get ready. So for myself... I mean, I'm not even thinking about fans coming back into the stands. I'm not even thinking about in the short term. And when I say short term, I'm thinking about six to eight months. I'm not even anticipating. I hope I'm wrong, but I'm not even anticipating the thought that um, fans, even with the stadiums filled up to 50, 55, 60%, I think that's a pipe dream, the way that we're acting right now. The... Uh, a majority of Americans. There's some who are taking this very, very seriously. But, you know, you have in a virus like this, you know, for it to be deadly, deadly for it to spread, you don't need to have, 
you know, seven out of eight people being responsible. You know, it, it doesn't matter. Because the one or two or three people who are being irresponsible can cause major destruction and damage to a multitude of people. So, I'm sorry, so it doesn't take 75, 80% of society being irresponsible for this plague to get worse, for this virus to spread, for us to be putting roadblocks toward our pathway to getting back to some type of normal life. Uh, that doesn't take that amount of people, doesn't take that high percentage. It only takes 10, 15, 20%. It only takes 8 to 10%. And right now, I can say that we're far past that threshold in terms of the lowest number that I just mentioned with that. So, you know, I don't know, man. Life with COVID. Watching sports in the world that has COVID. And it ain't going anywhere. It is not going anywhere. In fact, unfortunately, it's only going to get worse. Wassalamu alaikum, my brothers and sisters. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. 13 to nothing, the Los Angeles Dodgers over the Atlanta Braves. And it looks like they are in the third inning. Are we going to be seeing like positional players for the Braves come in after the sixth inning? I mean, who cares if you lose 13 to nothing, 1 nothing, or 45 to nothing? You're still ahead of the series. Two to one. So if I'm the uh, if I'm the manager of the Braves, I'm like, any uh, utility guys who aren't playing, anybody else out there want to pitch? Because I'm not I'm not going to empty my bullpen in this game that's been over since the uh, bottom of the first inning. So same thing with Davey Roberts. I guess you can't blame Dave Roberts for this for this game, can you? So man, maybe Kershaw should have uh, pitched in this game. I don't know, but it looks like the Dodgers have their swag back and will be trailing in the series two to one but hey this is baseball you never know what can happen Wendell's World of Sports I'm your host Wendell Wallace so glad that you could be with us special dedication to my absolutely fabulous beautiful wonderful goddaughter Sydney Davis my favorite human being under the age of 51 the Tennessee Titans are a potential force in the AFC y'all I'm telling you they beat the previously unbeaten Buffalo Bills yesterday remake retake rescheduling of their game, 42-16. to 16. You know, The last time Tennessee played was September 27th. Their facility was closed for 11 days before reopening on Saturday. The building was closed again then temporarily after another positive test was returned on Sunday morning. Then the Titans were allowed to play by the NFL, were allowed by the NFL to conduct an indoor practice later that day. So I think like in 16 days or some nonsense like that, they only practiced three days. So... 
this was good, man. I was very, very impressed. You know, the, the playing of this game really wasn't certain until the Titans had no more positive test return that Tuesday morning. So you're speaking about preparation, and we're speaking about these coaches all the time, talking about no distractions, no distractions, no distractions. We want everything so rigid and regimented and, you know, anything that causes a causes a little detour toward that these coaches go nuts and crazy, break the routine and all this kind of stuff. The Tennessee Titans said, the hell with that nonsense. And playing against a very good team in Buffalo with a very good defensive coordinator in Leslie Frazier and a very good defense and a really hot quarterback in Josh Allen who regressed just a little bit. I mean, you know, Josh Allen looked like the Josh Allen we knew and loved the first couple of years he was in the league. not going to say that he's returning to normal. I'm not trying to say that, uh, you know, He's going to go back to the medium. I think that he'll still be a good quarterback. I think that he's progressed and he's learned and he's gotten better. But um, he makes these passes, man, that on any given Sunday, I've seen the Bills play two or three times so far this year in terms of, you know, an extended period of time. And it seems like there's like three or four passes per game that Josh Allen throws or four or five plays per game that Josh Allen attempts to where it's kind of like, how did that person, how did that DB, how did that linebacker not intercept that? Or he just throws these passes where it's kind of like, what the hell was that? But I don't know, maybe because of his arm strength, maybe because the audacity of what he did that the DB didn't really even consider that he would actually try some bullshit like that. But there's there's just like four or five plays where it's like, woo, boy, that could have been bad. That could have had a much different result, could have been wound up as an incomplete pass or something like that. But the one concern I would have with Josh Allen, and it comes with confidence and it comes with him performing at a high level, the style that he plays is that if you allow him to do this gunslinger, Brett Favre, Ben Roethlisberger mix of quarterback styling right now, that there's going to come a time and period during this year that he's going to throw four interceptions. He's going to go like nine for 27 for 117 yards with four interceptions and one touchdown. And he's going to make some like head scratching. What the hell are you doing? Are you crazy type of plays? And you're just thinking, okay, if he can do that in week four, if he can do that in week eight, if he can do that in week 14, when... Right now, say for instance, if he could do that in week eight when the Bills are six and two and leading the conference, if he could do that in week 14 when the Bills are nine and four, I mean, that's okay and fine. But my concern, if I'm a Buffalo Bills fan with the glass being half empty for this discussion, is is he going to have one of these crazy ass bad games in the playoffs? Because on any given Sunday, you never know what could happen. And again, this is consistent. Yeah, he's completing 70% of his passes and he's only thrown one interception or two interceptions or three interceptions, no more than that in the amount of games that he's played. So, I mean, what the what are you talking about, Wendell? What the fuck are you talking about? I'm talking about if you see him play, it's razor thin in terms of where he's at between the Josh Allen that's being considered for the first couple of games for league MVP and for the Josh Allen that people saw in their playoff game against the the Houston Texans last year. And there's going to be some games this year, I'm telling you, despite the improvement. I'm genuine in my thoughts and feelings about Josh Allen had made great strides in being a really good quarterback. 
But still, when you play that type of when you play that type of football, and that, and that's still your style. Remember, the best player who's ever played like that is Brett Favre. And how many interceptions did he throw? How many bad games in the playoffs did he have? So I mean, you know, I'm just if you're a Bills Bills fan, you hope that that style doesn't come back to bite him at the worst opportune time meaning the playoffs, but getting back to the uh, Titans, man, I mean, they were, they were, they're a solidly good team. Everything about them is solid, not spectacular, solid. Now, the question moving forward is, is a team that can be solid, can they beat a team that's spectacular? I think on the overall scheme of things from week one to week 16, I think teams like the Pittsburgh Steelers, I think teams like the Tennessee Titans, and speaking in the AFC right now, but the two teams that really jump out at me in terms of consistency, not too many highs, not too many lows, but just on that even keel, good level. They're going to, like the Tennessee worst game of the season, I feel, is going to be one that's below average. They're not going to be terrible. They're not going to be horrible. And their good games or the games that they're going to win where they're going to look their best, they're going to be really good. They're not going to be spectacular. They're not going to be awe-inspiring. They're not going to be highlight reels unless, you know, you love to see Derrick Henry stiff-arm folks uh, out of the stadium. But for the most part, they don't have that pizzazz. You know, they don't have that uh, that, uh, that 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 showtime, Kansas City, Patrick Mahomes-led, Lamar Jackson-style type of uh, fluidity in terms of excitement that they bring. They're blue-collar, they're hard-working. If you want to use all of those adjectives to describe um, what they are as a football team. That's what they are. So I think them and Pittsburgh are the two teams that, you know, you're, you're not going to have any surprises. In the AFC now, in the AFC, the NFC, uh, the team that could be like that, I don't know, man. I'll think about that later. But as far as the AFC is concerned, that's what I think about when I think about the Titans. Ryan Tannehill, solid. He's, he's that quarterback version of Alex Smith. Alex Smith, and then, you know, Alex Smith before the injury, when he was with San Francisco, and then was moved on to Kansas City. Ryan Tannehill is a better version of that. You want to call Alex Smith a game manager or something like that? That's fine. That's what I perceive Alex Smith to be when he was at his best, a very good game manager, a guy where you know, with Alex Smith as your quarterback, you ain't going to go 4-12. and 12. If you put complimentary talent around this guy, he ain't going to go 4-12. and 12. He's not going to have those games where you walk into the locker room saying, damn, you know, we lost that game because Ryan Tannehill or Alex Smith was terrible and horrible and he threw crazy passes and he, you know, made the wrong reads and this, that, and the other. Alex Smith as a quarterback at his peak, at his prime, at his best was never going to be that. But then again, Alex Smith was also not the type of guy where you said he put us on his back and he uh, he was the reason why we won the football game. Alex Smith is not the guy who's going to be that quarterback to be the leader of a team that's going to vie for a championship. Ryan Tannehill, I think, is a better version of what Alex Smith was at his best, but still staying in the same space, same as, as staying in the same neighborhood of what type of quarterback that he is. Against uh, Buffalo, he completed 21 of 28 passes for 195 yards. He also added 42 yards rushing. He scored four total touchdowns. I mean, he's good. Ryan Tannehill is good. He is B good. If C is average, he's a solid B. 
you know, we're speaking about a, a scale where 100% is an A+. Plus. Ryan Tannehill is definitely an 81%. If 70% is a C on the grading scale, then Ryan Tannehill is definitely between an 81 and an 83. And some nights, in some games, he could maybe get up to 85, 86, 87%. But is he ever going to be able to reach a 95? Is he ever going to reach a 94? And is he able going to be able to do that consistently? And if I say consistently, Patrick Mahomes, for instance, 16-game season, on a scale of 100, he's going to hit 95, 96, 97, 98, probably in a 16-game schedule like five or six times. The other times, he's going to be hitting 92, 91, 89, and you might throw in a 69 to 72 to 73 every two or three games in a 16-game schedule. Ryan Tannehill is never going to give you a, a game where he's at 48%, where he's at 42%, where he's at 51%, 56%. He can give you some games where he's at 65, 68. That's a D. That's below average. Ryan Tannehill, at his very worst, is going to give you something like that. The scheme of the offense is not going to allow Ryan Tannehill to uh, give you Fs. The test ain't going to be that hard for Ryan Tannehill in terms of what his responsibilities are. But also, because of that, very rarely is he going to be in a situation to be put in for him to say, you got to go out and give me a 98, you got to go out and give me a 95, which means, you know, go go 29 for 36 for 415 yards and five touchdowns and no interceptions. Oh, yeah, and add about 35 to 40 yards rushing. Ryan Tannehill is never going to be put in that position. So, I think he's a good quarterback. I think he's a very solid quarterback, as I mentioned before. Um, but uh, he's part of the cog in a really strong system. Mike Vrabel, Vrabel is, uh, you know, it's, it's one of the better young coaches in the uh, National Football League. And he's showing it. He's showing it. He did a really good job. Watching Derrick Henry run, I mean, you know what? You know what I was thinking about with Derrick Henry? First of all, I was thinking about, I need to do a podcast. Wendell Wallace is doing a podcast. That's me, Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, speaking about what's going on. Um, but um, watching Derrick Henry run the football, I'm going to go old school on you. For those who are my age, my generation, you remember John Riggins of the Washington uh, Joe Gibskins? Watching Derrick Henry runs kind of reminds me if John Riggins was a football player with his style and everything playing in today's game, that's what I think he would look like. That's the way I think that he would play and he would run, would be like Derrick Henry. It's almost like watching Riggins run or watching, here we go, I'm going to go real old school on you. I'm going back to the old, old heads. Most people who watch this man do his thing are probably six feet under right now, either, either in heaven or hell. Watch some old film of Rocky Marciano boxing. Fight fan, Armando, fight fan, baby. Watching Rocky Marciano box is like watching Derrick Henry run the football. And what I mean by that is the more he runs, the more he gets the ball. And look, he didn't explode for, uh, you know, 150 yards or anything like that. I mean, his average was a poultry three yards per carry. But that doesn't tell the story, man. It's because every time you have to tackle this guy, it hurts. Every time you have to try to tackle this guy, whether it be on the waist, the knees, the arms, or whatever... And Derrick Henry lowers those pads and lowers himself and launches into you as far as running is concerned to finish off the run. That hurts. It really hurts. And if it hurts, not only is that going to hurt you physically, 
it's also going to weaken you mentally. Because if you see Derrick Henry, if you have to tackle Derrick Henry eight or nine times, and on the ninth or tenth time, you see him, you know, coming coming across the line of scrimmage headed your way, and you're that linebacker, and you're that safety, and you've already had to deal with that collision eight or nine times throughout this game, about an hour and a half in, your will and your desire and your feistiness to go do that shit again on this guy when you know what's coming to you, it's like, you know what, man, uh, I want to try to play in this league long enough so I can get a decent pension, and I want to live long enough, or I want to, when I'm done with the game of football, I'm really not in the mood to be, like, you know, hurting as much as I could be hurting if I have to tackle this guy another four times today. And this is only week five, week six, week seven, and we've got more games to play, and I really can't, you know, take a percentage of what I can give to the rest of the season out on tackling this guy. So I'm going to make a business decision. I'm going to make a smart decision, and I'm just going to go, ole! <laughs> I'm just going to go, oh, he juked me. Oh, doggone it, I missed the tackle. It's like body blow, like Marciano. When he hit you, you didn't have to hit you in the jaw to knock your ass out. Or he didn't have to hit you in the jaw or in the belly to um, go ahead and weaken you. I mean, all he had to do was throw a punch. And whether that hit your shoulders, whether that hit your wrists, whether that hit your arm, whether that hit your chest, whatever, it was going to hurt. And round one and two and three, it was going to hurt. Round four and five and six, it was going to hurt more. Round seven, eight, and nine, it was going to hurt even more. And by round 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, and 15, you said, fuck this. Ask Edgar Charles. Ask Jersey Joe Wolcott. Ask Joe Lewis. Shit hurts. Shit hurt at the beginning. The shit hurt at the first punch. The shit hurt at the last punch. And at the last punch, after taking that type of punishment for eight, nine, 10, 12 rounds, Fuck this, I'm done. My eyes busted, my nose is busted, I'm spitting out blood, my ribs hurt, my arms are hurting, I've got blisters, I've got, you know, bulges on my on my on my hips and on my knees and on my shoulders and I'm fuck this. I'm done. I'm done. It's the same thing one with Joe Riggins. Joe Gibbs used to give him a doll and used to pound it, pound it, pound it, pound it, pound it. And after the twenty-sixth, twenty-seventh, twenty Eighth, thirtieth carry, man. These defensive backs and these linebackers, I mean, they don't, they don't want to be dealing with that shit no more. And Riggins is still coming just as strong on the twenty-fifth carry as he did on the first. Man, I don't want to be dealing with that bullshit no more. That's the same thing with Derrick Henry. So yeah, Derrick Henry only carried the ball fifteen times for thirty-something yards or forty-five yards or something like that. Ha ha ha! Three yards a carry. Ask those guys who had to tackle him after the game how fun that was to tackle Derrick Henry. Ask Josh Norman, who was thrown from Nashville to Memphis. He was thrown from Nashville to the Mississippi border on a stiff arm with um, Derrick Henry running outside. How fun that was. So I, there's just so, there's, there's so many ways to play the game of football. There's so many ways to win at the game of football. And yes, I know that the NFL to ultimately be successful, is you got to have that quarterback, especially if you're going to be dealing with the likes of Patrick Mahomes for the next 10 years. If if you're going to have to go up against that, yeah, you better have a quarterback that can at least keep your team somewhere close for them to do some things. But I, I just like the makeup of the Tennessee Titans. They're big, they're strong, they're physical, 
Their wide receivers are physical. Their tight ends are physical. Their skill players are physical. Despite losing Jake Conklin from that offensive line as he went to Cleveland, the offensive line for Tennessee is physical. The defense is strong and physical. I mean, that's they're well coached. They're well prepared. I like Tennessee. I mean, you could be mad at them for uh, being knuckleheads for not conforming to what they needed to do to keep themselves uh, positive free from the coronavirus, but uh, they start rolling. They're going to be a hard team to deal with. You take a look at the schedule. You know, they, they uh, host Houston uh, next Sunday. And then from there, man, they've got, uh, they play at home against Pittsburgh on week seven, which was a rescheduled game from week four. Now week four became the Titans bye week. So, you know, that's a, that's a deal that they're going to have to be dealing with playing that many games in a row without a bye. But man, they're a, they're a strong ass team. You know, and if you speak about, you know, what was wrong with the uh, NFL in terms of the positive test with the Corona, with the Rona, with the COVID in the NFL, the biggest egregious, the egregious were the Tennessee Titans. If you take a look at it, 22 members of the organization tested positive for COVID-19. The players and personnel, as I mentioned before, they hadn't been in the facility since week three. Their game against the Minnesota Vikings, the facility closed down on September 29th. So, you know, I'm thinking, you know, what should the NFL do about, you know, the coronavirus moving forward? What should happen? First of all, the first thing that should happen should be me saying that this is Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. But I don't know, man. When you think about this, what do you think? When you think about this coronavirus? Nah, man, I don't want to hear nothing about they need to play in the bubble and all that kind of stuff. That ain't going to be happening. You know, because of, if you take a look, this it started off strong in training camp. Training camp protocols, only seven players tested positive between August 12th and September 19th. Other testing results, you know, came back. There were only 58 positive tests, 20 players, 38 other team personnel among more than, what, over 300,000 NFL tests administered between August 1st and September 26th, only 58 positives. The majority of them not being players, if you, if you think about 20, there were 26 positives, 11 players, 15 personnel between September 27th and October 3rd, and the bulk of those came from the Tennessee Titans organization. So, yeah, all right, you know, that's, well, so what we're going to do about this going forward? There's going to be two issues, I think, that's going to prevent the NFL from really doing something drastic concerning this or canceling the season. No, nothing's going to make them go to a bubble. Nothing's going to make them become sequestered. They're not going to be, they ain't going to be following the examples of the NBA and um, what's that other sport that they play? When the guys play on ice, a bunch of white guys and Europeans, they play on ice, they have sticks. Oh, what's that sport called? Oh yeah, that's right. Hockey, the NHL. I mean, they're not going to be going to a situation like that. So there's, I think there's two situations where the worst case scenarios to where it's like, look, maybe we should either postpone, cancel, or do whatever. A star player coming down with the virus, and not just coming down with the virus, because Cam Newton is the most visible player, the most noticeable player that came that contracted the virus. And, you know, there was some maneuvering, there was some twisting, twisting the night away that the New England Patriots had to do, but their season's going to continue. The league isn't going to stop. The Patriots are still going to be playing their games. They're still going to be playing 16 games, not just Cam Newton, but Stephon Gilmore. So a star player 
coming down with the COVID virus, that's not going to cause the NFL to do something drastic. That's not going to bring up the discussion of postponing, canceling, moving, doing something drastic with the season. It's a player, star player coming down with the virus and then either dying or being on the doorstep of death before, before that list. So players in the NFL who cannot afford to get the virus at any time and experience any type of uh, of uh, maladies that could be life-threatening. And my, for God's fucking sakes, I hope everybody in the NFL, player, personnel, everybody associated with the NFL, that includes the owners, everybody, I hope, remains, you know, positive or negative, excuse me. I hope all the players and coaches and personnel and owners and broadcasters and writers, everybody, I hope, is negative. And I hope they don't catch the virus at all. But God forbid, man, if Tom Brady or Drew Brees or Patrick Mahomes or Aaron Rodgers or J.J. Watt or Lamar Jackson or Ben Roethlisberger or Russell Wilson, God forbid those guys get the virus and all of a sudden, them missing a week all of a sudden turns into he's now in a hospital. He's now on a ventilator. We don't know. The situation's getting worse. He's deteriorating. We, my goodness fucking gracious, we don't need that from anybody associated with the NFL but if it happens to one of those guys and I hate to say it and this sucks but come on man let's keep it real let's be 100 with this if the third string backup tight end gets the coronavirus and he's struggling and he's on life support and all of those type of things if the practice player on the Jacksonville Jaguar comes down with this virus and he's fighting for his life and everything like that the league is just going to continue to do what it's doing it'll show uh, empathy It'll show sympathy. It'll go out of his way to be, oh, this is horrible and this is terrible and our thoughts and prayers are with you and let's take a moment of silence and our prayers and all of those type of things. They'll show all of those things to that third stringer. They'll show all of those things to those practice players. They will definitely do that. But that that is not enough for the NFL to stop the league. I mean, as fucked up as it might sound and as horrible as it might sound and cold and callous as it might sound, the reserve backup offensive lineman from the Indianapolis Colts dying because of COVID-19 during the season is not going to cause the league to shut down. It's sad. It's terrible. It's horrible. I hope it never happens, but it ain't going to cause the league to shut down. The league will take a hit. The league might take a week off to find out exactly how did this guy catch it, where did he catch it, do an investigation. It might be one or two weeks, possibly. Two weeks, probably the the, the, um, uh, the latest in terms of that organization. But the league is still going to play. Just because some guy from the Miami Dolphins caught COVID-19 and now he's at death's door, that doesn't mean that the Seattle Seahawks can't play the Denver Broncos. Just because the backup tight end for the... Washington football team came down with COVID and now he's in the hospital fighting for his life. That doesn't mean that the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers can't play the Cleveland Browns. That doesn't mean we have to scrap the San Francisco 49ers playing the uh, New Orleans Saints on Monday Night Football. That doesn't mean that we have to you know, cancel a really juicy Sunday night game that's going to give us buku ratings. That's, that's, you know, sorry that this happens, but business is business. Life is life. 
Capitalism is capitalism. Rich people are rich people. So, I mean, you know, billionaires are billionaires. And, you know, sucks and everything. But, you know, mommy and daddy need to be taken care of. My wife needs the jewels on her fingers. My kids need to go to the best schools. I need to buy that expensive car. I need to get that big house overlooking the hill on the big side of the city. And I need to get paid. So, you know. And if you're the owner, it's like terrible that's happening. But I'm not going to be playing paying football players for not playing and instead being at the bedside of a guy who's dying of COVID. Sucks, sorry, but, uh, you know, keeping it real. So that would be the first situation where players are like, where the league um, stops. If one of the main marquee guys gets it, and then you have MSNBC, and then you have CNN, and Don Lemon, and Anderson Cooper, and Joy Reid, and all of these other folks running around talking about, what's wrong with the NFL? How can they still be playing? This is terrible. This is horrible. And then, you know, if Joe Biden gets in there, you know, with Kamala Harris, you know, they ain't no friends of the NFL owners like the misogynist racist asshole that's in the White House right now. So you know them folks are going to be sitting up there talking about, man, Tom Brady is on his deathbed and you guys are still playing? What the fuck's the matter with you? Where's your compassion? So, you know, the NFL is going to be dealing with that shit. If someone like Brady or Breeze or Russell Wilson or one of the marquee guys, Aaron Rodgers, Mr. Allstate, comes down with the virus so it'll be interesting to see what would happen i would think something then drastic really drastic would happen and another thing of course that would cause the nfl to say you know what man let's kind of step back for more than a couple of weeks let's postpone this for a couple of months or just end the season right now the only other thing would be a mass spread of the virus among the historic popular teams and i'm talking about a massive spread I'm thinking anywhere over 50% of an outbreak from coaches and players of teams from Green Bay or the Cowboys or the Steelers or the Kansas City defending champions or the New York Giants. What are those historic teams that, uh, that uh, you know, all of a sudden now out of 53 guys, 38 of them, including 95% of the starters, come down with the virus. That's where it's kind of like, oh, shit. I don't know. Other than that, man, I think fans will treat a player catching COVID like catching the flu, like any other injury. Oh, you know what? You know what? What? What was really the thing? And I understand that the Patriots had to be reshuffled and rescheduled and all of those type of things. But in all, in the big picture, what was Stephon Gilmore and more specifically Cam Newton, him catching the virus? What did it mean? He missed a week. He's going to play against Denver. All right, what's the difference between that and him injuring his ankle or injuring his shoulder or injuring his knee so we had to take some time off? What's the difference? What's the difference? I, I, I understand there's a difference, but I mean in terms of people who are fantasy football players or people who are betting or anything like that, Cam Newton missed a week because of COVID. He's back playing. All right, we'll see what happens. We'll see what he does. So, you know, I, and I think, again, and I come back to what I was speaking about in the first segment of my podcast, Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, about, you know, I think there's been this type of cavalier, ignorant attitude among a folks to where it's almost like we have been, I think we've been disrespecting COVID. I think as the time has gone on, 
and we've been compromised for this long. I think we're at the point now we're just like, you know what, man, fuck it, fuck it. I'm so goddamn tired of staying in. I'm so goddamn tired of wearing a mask. I'm so fucking tired of six feet. I'm so tired of not being able to see my loved ones and my parents and my grandparents and all that kind of stuff. I'm so tired of working from home. I'm so tired of being alone. I'm so tired of alone. Won't you help me, girl, just as soon as you can. That they're like, man, screw it, <laughs> you know? I mean, and then they start listening to the fools who are sitting there talking about, well, you know, 99.95% of the population is dying, it, 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 you know, recovers from this, and it only affects a certain group of people, and, you know, you're in a group where if you get it, no big fucking deal, and then again, you listen to the fucking idiot that's in the White House right now, and you're like, well, you know, fuck it, if he can come back in 10 days and be doing what he's doing, why can't I? So I, I think you mix all of those things into the fact that, you know, the, the the attitude that we have, the NFL is going to keep on doing what it's doing. And if we have to move games, if we have to continue to do scheduling gymnastics because of it, then that's exactly what we're going to do. But, you know, I, the, the bubble thing is not happening. Not happening. Number one, players don't want to be away from their families that long. And there's some belief among the NFL and NFLPA leadership that the number of people that would be, that would have to catch, that would be in, no. Basically what they're saying is you put all of those people in that close of a proximity that there's no guarantee that they wouldn't be able to catch the virus anyway. So it's not the panacea going into a bubble that, say for instance, was shown, worked in the NHL and the NBA. Uh, the players believe that the protocols that are established will work if they are followed. And again, the main reason why it's not going to work because how exactly how would this work? You can't put 30 fucking teams all in. You can't put them all in Orlando. You can't put them all in Walt Disney World. You know, people talk about down here in Vegas. I mean, okay, so what are you going to do? You're going to have 30 Teams come down here to work. So you're going to occupy the wind. You're going to occupy the Venetian. You're going to occupy the MGM. You're going to occupy the Mandalay Bay. You're going to, what are we talking about here? And they're going to be playing where? They're going to be playing at Sam Boy Stadium. And the other teams are going to be playing in the, uh, uh, in the uh, Raiders new stadium. I mean, how exactly is that going to work? Where are you going to be placing all these guys? All of those guys are going to be down on the strip. I mean, you can't go out to the Red Rock. You can't go to Arizona Charlie's. You can't go to Casablanca and Mesquite. You can't go down to the Virgin River in, in Laughlin. I mean, well, I don't, this, the proximity, how are you going to play these games? It makes no sense. An NFL team has 53 players plus 16 on the practice squads and upwards of 29 coaches. So that's 89 people per team, which we're talking about. So you do the math, 32 teams, 89 players, coaches, and personnel. You're speaking about close to 3,000 employees that you're going to have to somehow, some way account for. That somehow you're going to have to house. Who's going to be paying for all this? I, I, it just doesn't make any sense to me. And again, what are we talking about? Are we going to be talking about in pods? I mean, the NFL only plays once a week. You know, in the NBA, you go from city to city to city, four days and five nights and road trips. And, you know, the, the San Antonio Spurs have their Texas rodeo road trip where they're out for a couple of weeks. The Lakers and the Clippers, they're on the road when the Grammys or anything else that's going on in Staples Center. They go ahead and they go to the East Coast for long games. Baseball players are in the same city for uh, three nights, 
four nights, that type of thing, three days, four nights, whatever that type of stuff is. At least with the NFL, I mean, you go into a city on a, what, you, you, if the, let me throw out two, two teams here. If the New York Giants play the Dallas Cowboys in Dallas, they're at the facility when? Wednesday, Thursday, Friday? Or Wednesday, Thursday, whatever, Friday? They come down on a Saturday, they play on a Sunday, and then that night they're out and they're back home for a Monday, Tuesday off? So I think if you take a look at the the amount of employees for each organization, which you're going to have to be responsible for, because if you bring them to a facility or if you bring them to, uh, if you have them sequestered in, in a hotel or, I don't know, resort or I don't know what the hell it would be. I mean, well, you're going to have everybody in Orlando. So, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. It just doesn't make any sense knew that it never made any sense. So, look, the only thing you should do, the only reasonable thing to do is you punish the organizations and individuals who do not follow the protocols and those punishments should be severe. So if a team is going to do like the Tennessee Titans did and not follow protocol and this is the extent of what happened, 22 players or 22 uh, people being tested positive, the fines should include somewhere in between seven and eight figures. Loss of multiple future draft picks. Forfeit games as a last result for repeat offenders. Players who uh, violate the rules. You want to go out to the strip joint and get some chicken when you should be at home. Quarantining or doing what you need to do not to be tested positive. Heavy fines and multiple game suspension without pay from players who don't follow the rules and, con- and contract the virus. Now, yes, there would have to be an investigation. Yes, there would have to be something. I mean, if you're a player and you come down with the covid positive test, you shouldn't automatically be suspended and fined without paying those type of things because you don't know. Who knows? They could have got it from a family member. They could have got it from who knows what. They could have got it from somebody at the facility. Who knows? There needs to be an investigation before people start being handed out heavy fines and everything like that. But those type of things should be on the table. So like the Tennessee Titans, they, they were found guilty of not following the protocol a brazen, arrogant attempt not to follow the rules set by the NFL and the NFLPA, those guys should experience, I'm speaking about the organization, find those motherfuckers $50 million and see if they do that shit again. And if they do that shit again, find them $100 million and take away a couple of draft picks and forfeit the two games uh, that that, that were, that were, uh, you know, that they had to play, you know. And let's see if the other teams are going to try to uh, go ahead and, and, and do something similar. So that's what I think should happen. I mean, you come down heavy. I'm a crime and punishment guy. I'm one of these guys where it's kind of like, look, man, if you do the crime, you do the time, and you do all the fucking time. Now, our justice system is fucked up, and it's racist, and it's prejudiced, and you know, rich folks can buy their justice and freedom and all those type of things. That's fine. But if you are... If you are committing a crime and you are convicted without question of committing that crime, you do the time. And depending upon the crime, the crime should be severe and heavy. So, you know, that's what I think. So, you know, moving forward, man, look, it's just life, as I mentioned before, in the NFL. Get used to it because from now and probably moving on until half of next year, this is the way, again, this is the way it's going to be.
Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Senor, senorita. Que pasa? Que pasa, mi amigo? Um, the bu- 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 speaking about the NFL, don't forget also to go over to my YouTube page, Wendell Wallace, W-E-N-D-E-L-L, Wallace, W-A-L-L-A-C-E, video versions of what I do. Virgin, not virgins, virgin. well, fuck it. Just go over and take a look at this hands and face, talk about what's going down in the uh, world of sports and beyond, give you my thoughts and feelings about something. And uh, by the way, if you're my, if you're a female between the ages of uh, 39, 45, 46, 47, if you're beautiful, if you're single, if you like uh, a guy who's uh, incredibly handsome, a great sense of humor, the gift of gab, uh, spontaneous, and uh, humble, <laughs> then uh, go somewhere else. No, I'm joking. But um, yeah, so uh, yeah, Wendell Wallace, W-E-N-D-E-L-L-W-A-L-L-A-C-E, the YouTube channel. You can see me do this stuff um, video-wise. All right, so biggest news from the NFL in Week 5, Dak Prescott's devastating injury in Dallas's 37-34 victory over the uh, New York Giants. Shit, man, that's some fucked up bullshit, man, in terms of what happened to him. You know, I mean, you know, Washington-Dallas rivalry. You get older and stuff, you know. I mean, the Washington Snyder skins have been so bad and so embarrassing for so long that the, yeah, I hate the Cowboys and they're no good. It's like, whatever, man. I mean, that 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 rivalry has diminished so much where it's kind of like, I can't even be mad at the Cowboys anymore. I'm more mad at the fact that, you know, Jerry Jones is being Jerry Jones in terms of his, terms of his political stuff more than me hating the Dallas Cowboys because they whip on the uh, Washington Snyder skin so much. So, you know, I have no animus and I have no ill will. I never had any toward Dak Prescott. I think he's a fabulous, um, I think he's a really good football player. And from the outside looking in, I never met the man. I've never came, came up and spoke to him from... What I see from afar, Dak Prescott seems to be a very outstanding uh, young man. Great role model, even if he doesn't want to be, even if, even if he shouldn't be, I should say. Um, an exemplary, you know, person. And uh, I just wish him the best, man. Godspeed for you. So, you know, it's devastating to see that. And how it happened, Dallas was leading 24-23 in the third quarter. The Cowboys called a design quarterback draw. Prescott then broke through one tackle attempt and then tried to stiff arm uh, Giants defensive back Logan Ryan. And, you know, as Ryan dragged him down, the you know Prescott's ankle got caught underneath him. And the rest, as we say, is something that we don't need to ever see again. Something that I don't never, ever need to see again. So, you know, I mean, it was a regular football play that went horribly wrong for Prescott. I mean, no rule changes could have prevented that. Nothing dirty about the tackle. Had nothing to do with the playing surface or anything like that. It just sucks, man. It's just a football play that went horribly wrong. So officially, the Cowboys have announced that Dak is going. He suffered a compound fracture, dislocated uh, his right ankle. The bone was penetrating the skin, protruding the skin as part of the injury. My goodness, fucking gracious! And according to ESPN's Adam Schefter and Chris Mortensen, they reported that Prescott underwent surgery. This past uh, Sunday evening, and the recovery time is between four and six months. So, if Prescott should be able to return, I mean, professional athletes from all of, he should be able to return because if you take a look, baseball, football, basketball, 
I mean, players have all returned from catastrophic, at the time looked like catastrophic injuries, and have uh, gone on to be um, to be fine. Maybe not the player that they once were, but still be very productive uh, players. In baseball, Jason Kendall, Moises Alou, Robin Ventura, they all returned from compound ankle fractures and sustained long careers. Robin Ventura is in the Hall of Fame. Um, in basketball, Gordon Hayward, as we know, dislocated his ankle and fractured his tibia, missed an entire season, and then returned the following year. You remember Paul George in the ex- exhibition game when he was with Team USA out here at the Thomas & Mack in Vegas. He broke his ankle, he broke his leg, and he came back and played, uh, and played, and he was a guy who would play very well his last year in Oklahoma City. You speak about someone like David Carr, who had a bad ankle injury, and he still got paid. I think it was the last game of the regular season, and that compromised Oakland's then Oakland's opportunity to advance in the playoffs. I believe they lost to Houston in the uh, wild card game, but uh, the injury for Carr wasn't as devastating, of course, as it was for Dak Prescott, but it was pretty bad. And as we see, Carr has come back, and he's still a starting quarterback. And at times, he can be a, a, a pretty good, very good starting quarterback. In the NFL, uh, running back LaShawn McCoy, he suffered a compound ankle fracture in high school, and that hadn't stopped him. He had a great career in Pittsburgh, and he's played a long time in the NFL, made the uh, Pro Bowl a couple of times at the pro level again. Connor Bald- Bardwin and Allen Hurts were able to overcome overcome dislocated ankles and return to the sport. So Prescott can recover from this. And unlike Alex Smith, who had all of these injuries, Alex Smith's main deal in terms of, my God, what could happen with his injury wasn't so much to do with the injury itself that happened on the field. It had to do everything with the infection when his uh, ankle or when his leg got infected. That's where the seriousness really began and talk about amputation and all of those type of things. So God hoping that Prescott can have successful, successful surgery and not have any complications from it. But um, you take a look at the timetable now. So if we're speaking about four to six months, the ankle should heal, I guess, between mid-April and mid-June, somewhere around there. So... I don't know. Does that mean that he'll ever play at the level that he's playing with before the injury? I don't know, man. This is going to be something in regards of just because his ankle is going to be healed, we don't know what Prescott is going to be moving forward. Yeah, the ankle must might have been healed, but physically and mentally, how is Prescott going to be? I don't care how strong of a person you are mentally. I don't care how much character you have. It's got to be stuck in your mind like that, especially for the first year that you come back. That devastating injury is going to have to stick with you. And then you're talking about, you know, Prescott not having the opportunity to go ahead and to uh, train in condition to be a, a football player in terms of being a bat, uh, in terms of being a quarterback, because instead of doing those things, he's going to be rehabbing that ankle to get back at a certain amount of time. So it's only going to be natural because that's going to be his main focus, that he's not going to be doing the things at least the way he needs to do to help him expand and help him to grow and help him to get better as a quarterback because he's going to be focusing on that ankle. So what does the Cowboys do moving forward? Don't be sitting there blaming Jerry Jones for this. Hey, look, man, again, this shit is a business. It's a business. And as much, I believe a few years ago, Prescott 
when he didn't sign that long-term contract, I think Prescott even took out an insurance policy which pays him like 50-something million dollars if something like this did happen. So in a world where we have people losing their homes, in a world where we have over 200,000 people dead because of a virus, when we're living in a world where people are being incarcerated and being put on death row that are innocent, when we have all of these horrible things that are going on right now, as bad as it is for Dak Prescott to be facing what he's going to be facing, uh, there's millions upon millions upon millions upon millions of people just in this country alone who would trade places with Dak Prescott in a heartbeat uh, for what he's going to be going through. And again, this is not to minimize you know, the struggle not to minimize the journey to recovery that he's going to have to go through. It's going to be daunting, and like, like I've been through this before, right? I can assume that going through something like this is going to be daunting, it's going to be hard, it's going to be days where he ain't going to want to do this, there's going to be days where he's going to doubt himself, there's going to be days where he's going to be in the bed, the alarm's going to go off, he's going to turn off the alarm and take a look at the sky and say, do I really want to continue doing this shit? Do I really feel like doing this shit today? No, but goddamn, I've got to do this. I mean, there's going to be those type of days, physically, mentally. There's going to be days of pain. Assuming I've never had a dislocated, fractured ankle and foot and all those type of things, but I've never had that type of rehab, but I can assume it's going to be tough. But, you know, in a greater scheme of things and just in terms of life in general, you know, I mean, Dak is still going to be able to pay his bills. Dak is still going to be able to take care of his family. Dak is still going to be able to take care of himself with some of the things that he's going through. He's going to have the resources. He's going to have the avenues to deal with his anxiety, to deal with those things that maybe millions upon millions of people won't have the opportunity, won't have the financial resources to do. So, I mean, you know, it's a, it's a, I say all those things to say, you know, do the Cowboys owe Dak Prescott anything? No, the, 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 the Cowboys don't owe him anything. Dak Prescott gambled on him, you know, gambled on him having an awesome season and then getting paid. As great as Dak Prescott statistically has been over the past year and a quarter, I mean, we've had this discussion before, before he got injured. And I think having this injury now shouldn't sugarcoat or, you know, you know, or, or hype or, you know, talk about Dak in a different way in terms of what type of quarterback that he is. Even before the injury, at his best, Dak Prescott is still not Patrick Mahomes. He's still, as of 2020, not Lamar Jackson. He's still not Aaron Rodgers. He's still not Russell Wilson. He's still not all those guys. He's still not an elite quarterback. There was a possibility he could be getting there, but you would not put Dak Prescott as good as he had been. You would not put him in the upper echelon of elite quarterbacks. He's not Wilson or Rodgers or, or, or any of those guys. But he was gambling on himself to make a paycheck that would supersede a lot of those guys. I mean, if all be truthful, what the Cowboys offered him, four years what, 30-something million dollars? That's commensurate to what Dak Prescott is as a quarterback. Dak Prescott making 33, 34, 35, 37 million dollars a year. That's, that's pretty good for the next four years. You speak about a guy who's 27 years old. So when the contract ends, he's still going to be in the prime for him to snag another huge contract if he continues to perform at the level that he's performing at. That wasn't in, you know, that's, that, 
the, the Cowboys did Dak Prescott right, in my opinion. Jerry Jones, Stephen Jones, they weren't being untoward. They weren't being, you know, disrespectful to Dak Prescott and, and offering that. Dak was like, no, I'm going to go out here. I'm going to set the world on fire. Then you guys are going to pay me $42 million a year. I'm going to be the highest paid quarterback until Lamar or someone else comes walking down the street and ask for more money or, or when it's their time to get paid. And that's what happens. So you have to accept the consequences of uh, of what happened. You made your bed. Now you got to lay in it. So, But the Cowboys can, can do one of three things. For what I've been told, um, you know, for this season he's going to be he's playing on the franchise tag. Dak is going to be making thirty one point four million dollars, and you know this this ain't something where you know he gets paid by the hour. He gets paid by the game. You know, he's making thirty one point four million dollars. Nice piece of change where you if you can get it, especially in a state that doesn't have state income. So Dak's doing all right. Dak is not going to have to worry about where the bills are going to be paid, hopefully. So, 31.4, getting it done. He's not under contract after week 17. There's some ways that the Cowboys can extend that, but technically, he no longer gets a paycheck from the Cowboys after week 17 is over, whenever week 17 is going to be in this NFL crazy-ass season. So, again, they have three options. The Cowboys could let him leave, and Dak could hit the uh, free agency market, unrestricted. And if that happens, you know, the Cowboys are not going to get direct compensation, though they're likely to collect a third-round compensatory pick in the 2022 draft if they didn't sign a player of the same amount in free agency. They could also sign them to a contract extension, something that they tried to do again in this past offseason and the offseason before. And Dak was like, no, that's okay. I'm going to Kirk Cousins myself. And the third and probably most likely option is that the Cowboys are going to franchise tag him for the second time, which means that Dallas can offer Prescott another one-year deal with this one being $37.7 million guaranteed for the 2021 season, which is a $6.3 million raise. Again, you take a look at the type of character, the type of person that Dak Prescott is, according to people who know him and deal with him. I don't know him that well. Don't know him at all. But uh, so from everything that seems to be going down, that the Cowboys do go ahead and do that, franchise him, and he's going to be making $38 million to basically get ready for the 2022 season. And he's going to get a raise of $6.3 million. Uh, I'm not shedding no tears in that situation for Dak Prescott. What job do you work at where something like that could happen and you get a raise? Do you realize how hard it is to get a raise from people out there working? And look, I'm not going to sit here and bullshit about the, you know, athletes and this, that, and the other. I can't believe they get paid like that. And teachers and firefighters and police officers don't. This is bullshit. This is wrong with this country and all that nonsense. Fuck you. I'm not going to go down that path. But, uh, you know, I, it sounds pretty good to me. If I'm Dak Prescott, I mean, the the angst and the worries about what's going to be happening to me long term in terms of financially, because look, playing football is the way to pay the bills. Playing football is the way to get generational wealth. Playing football should be just your job, and that should be who you are. So as much as I'm quite sure Dak Prescott loves to play football, hopefully he has it in his common sense meter that, look, this is only going to be good for the next, you know, I'm only going to be playing football for the next 10, 15 years, and I plan to live another 50. So, uh, you know, after football's over, I got another four decades to go to, See what I can do to, uh, you know, be a human being, you know. So, 
again, football shouldn't be everything, getting $38 million a year to go ahead and rehab and get a raise of $6 million. Don't cry for me, Dak Prescott. The Cowboys are going to pay you your money. And you think about it, shit, 37, even if Prescott was, didn't get injured, and he had a good year. The Dak Prescott, we know as a quarterback, him making $37.7 million, million for next season, that sounds about right for him, doesn't it? So instead of getting a five-year deal worth an average of, what, $40, $41 million, a one-year deal for $37, he will come back and instead maybe sign for, I don't know. I can't read that far down the road. We don't know what the salary cap is going to be. We don't know what the damages of this virus is going to be on the NFL and the franchise and this financial sheets and everything. We don't know. But, you know, the bottom line, again, is the Cowboys are going to do them right. And look, you can sit there and, well, you know, he took the bullet for Jerry Jones and he was one of the guys that was a company man and, you know, he didn't call out Jones when he was doing all his shenanigans and and all of this kind of stuff. He was the model employee. Yeah, he was the model employee. And a model employee whose career is undetermined right now, his prize is getting $37 million, which is a raise of $6.3 million. So we got a $6.3 million raise for being the employee of the year. Sounds pretty good. Sounds pretty good if that was uh, if that's what we're talking about. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Hey, and also, let's also remember, the bottom line on the Dallas Cowboys decision on what to do with Dak Prescott, you know who's going to be responsible for that? It's not going to be Jerry Jones. It's not going to be Stephen Jones. It's going to be Andy Dalton. Andy Dalton is going to depend on what happens with Dak Prescott. Now, Andy Dalton is 34 years old, but what happens if Andy Dalton comes out and goes Kurt Warner in a situation uh, with him and Trent Green? What happens if Andy Dalton comes out and goes 1998 Randall Cunningham when he was with the Minnesota Vikings? What happens if Dak, if um, Andy Dalton comes in and does Jim Plunkett on what happened to Mark Wilson when he was replaced and Plunkett leading the uh, Raiders, then Oakland Raiders to the uh, championship 27-10 over the Philadelphia Eagles. Basically, what I'm saying is what happens if Andy Dalton does a Earl Morrill over Johnny Unitas when he was a 1968 NFL MVP and led the Baltimore Colts to a 15-1 record? What's going to happen then? Are we still going to be talking about Dak Prescott this and Dak Prescott that? Are we still going to be, you know, wringing our hands about what type of quarterback Dak Prescott is going to be for next season? If Andy Dalton can go ahead and play lights out football, he's got the team around him. I know the defense sucks, and I know the offensive line is broken down because of injuries, but you still have Ezekiel Elliott. You still have Amari Cooper. You still have that receiving core. Who knows? Now, against the Giants on Sunday, Dalton had 111 yards passing on 9 of 11 and directed the winning drive for the in the final minutes, filling in for Prescott. He completed on the final drive three passes for 72 yards, set up the game-winning field goal. I understand that he hadn't had a winning record since 2015, but look, Dallas is still in the NFC East last time I checked. Winning this division with seven wins is not out of the question. They're in first place right now in that division, with a two and three record. The Eagles are at one, three, and one. The Washington Snyderskins are one and four. And the New York Giants are one, oh, and five. So there's a situation there that could be had 
for the Dallas Cowboys to do some things. And then, you know, once you get into the playoffs, who knows what's going to happen? We don't know when the playoffs are going to be happening. We don't know if the playoffs are going to be happening in January, early January, mid-January, late January. We don't know. We don't know what's going to be happening. And if Andy Dalton, heaven's sake alive, plays great football, meshes well with the um, wide receivers, all of a sudden they rediscover that Ezekiel Elliott is one of the top two or three running backs in the NFL, and all of a sudden he starts rushing for 110, 115, 120 yards per game to justify the contract that he got. Tyron Smith comes back from injury. That offensive line becomes a little bit more solidified. And all of a sudden, the Dallas Cowboys start turning it around, and Andy Dalton is the guy that's going to average, it's going to be, I don't know, sort of similar to Rand Tannehill in terms of, we're not asking, I mean, Dalton is not going to be asked to be Aaron Rodgers or Russell Wilson or any of those guys, but hell, sometimes less could be more. All of a sudden, now Kellen Moore, the offensive coordinator, can't go out there and ask um, Andy Dalton to go out there and throw 45, 50 times a game. But ball control, you keep that horrendous defense off the field a little bit longer. Who knows, man? Who knows? We've seen some crazy things. And remember, this is the NFL, which means not for long if you can't produce. And Jerry Jones is not one of those sentimental guys. He'll take care of his players after they've done stuff for him. Took care of Emmett. Took care of Troy. Took care of Michael. Took care of Charles Haley. You know, he's done well with those guys. But, you know, I'm not um, sentimentality in terms of he hasn't won a Super Bowl in how many decades now? I mean, you know, if Andy Dolan comes out there, and again, I'm not saying that they cast him aside, but depending upon the career path with the Dallas Cowboys, for Dak Prescott, it's in the hands of Andy Dolan. Can he get it done? Can he not get it done? Can it be average? We'll see. We'll see. But my prayers, thoughts, and condolences are for Dak Prescott that he can have uh, successful surgery, no complications and anything like that. Get back and get back to being a football player for the 19, for the 19, for the 2021 season and beyond. Wendell's World of Sports. Bonjour, que pasa, shalom, konnichiwa, wassalamu alaikum. Let's have peace. Let's have unity. Let's listen to each other. Shut up. Shut the fuck up. Listen. Learn. Learn to listen. Listen learn. Learn to listen. They're speaking to you. They're giving you their life experience. They're telling you what's going down in the community. They're telling you your thoughts and your feelings. I don't give a fuck what you think. You've never been where we've been. You haven't been through what we've been through. You don't face what we face. Shut the fuck up. Listen, 
learn black, white, male, female, Republican, Democrat, Christian, Jewish, atheist, whatever. Shut up, listen, learn, listen, love, harmony, unity, togetherness. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, Hispanic, Asian, white, black, Muslim, Jew, Gentile. Shut up, listen, learn, listen, empathy, compassion, education, learn, Take your head out of your ass. Get your head out of your sand. Both ears, listen. Fat, skinny, beautiful, ugly, rich, poor, suburbs, ghetto, white trash, ghetto trash. Listen, learn, learn, listen to each other, love each other, unify, harmonize, togetherness, unity. That's what it's all about. And that's what it's all about. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Um, getting back to this past weekend in the NFL, the the uh, the uh, Kansas City defending champions. What is going on? Aha! Mm-hmm. What's up with that? The defending champs' first loss of the season. First time they've lost since Week Ten in the 2019 season, losing 40 to 32 to the Las Vegas Raiders. Uh, Derek Carr completed 21 of 30 passes for 345 yards, three touchdown passes, threw a 59-yard TD to Nelson Aguilar, and a 72-yard TD bomb to Henry Ruggs, the third, not the second or the first, but the third. His third TD pass, speaking of Carr, was a two-yard completion to Darren Waller, uh, Waller for the touchdown. So all of his TD passes, speaking of Carr for the Las Vegas Raiders, came in the second quarter for the Kansas City defending champions. Defense was horrible, Ben. They gave up 490 total yards on 67 plays. That's, uh, let me see, you move that in there, and then the 6 to 7, and then they bring it up, they subtract, and you move down. And over 7 yards per play. They went 9 for 16, Oakland, excuse me, uh, Las Vegas. They went 9 for 16 on 3rd and 4th down conversions. They went 3 for 3 in red zone opportunities. Held the ball for over 35 minutes. I'm telling you, the defense for Kansas City made major mistakes. They struggled to tackle. I was watching some of that game. Of course, me being out here in Vegas. The uh, defense for Kansas City struggled to tackle in the open field, lacked physical ability to run with the Raiders' weapons. And in some plays, I hate to say this, that was kind of like, ah, fuck it. (laughs) They were giving a Los Angeles Clippers-type effort on defense. So uh, it was, I don't know, man. It was just an all-around thing. I mean, you could put a lot... When you score 32 points, you're supposed to be winning football games. But then again, you take a look at the offense for Kansas City. I mean, what would you call it? What would you think? What do you think it was? I think it was disjointed, sloppy, kind of ugly to watch. It was almost like watching the Houston Rockets play um, basketball. You know, when you have James Harden and Eric Gordon and Russell Westbrook and those guys just throwing up Robert Covington, just throwing up three after three after three after three. And it was just like ugly, ugly, ugly offense. And that's what it was for Kansas City, which is pass, pass, pass. Patrick Mahomes making hero type passes, you know, throwing the ball at all angles on the run, looking, looking, looking. Nobody was getting open. I mean, Kansas City ran the ball 40, uh, they passed the ball 30. 43 times and ran it 14 times. And you take a look at the stats from Mahomes, 22 of 43, 340 yards. But like I mentioned before, it was just Sandlot, hero ball type of play. It just, 
I don't know. It just didn't look good. So, so they lost their first game of the season. Um, a couple of weeks ago, you know, they looked fantastic, dominant, shall we say, going on the road and beating the Baltimore Ravens, supposedly their biggest threat in the AFC to repeat as champions from that division or that conference, excuse me. Um, but the last two games, now against the Vegas Raiders and before that against the New England Patriots, I mean, it was underwhelming at best. One win, one loss. Neither one was all that, you know, was all that impressive. So I'm speaking about right now because, again, moving forward, you tell me what's going to be happening with the world that we live in, that the virus that we're dealing with. You, you tell me with certainty what's going to be happening with these teams in the NFL, who is going to get better, who is going to be worse, who's going to be affected by the virus, who is not going to be affected by the virus, what's going to be happening. We don't know. So I can only talk about the present right now. In terms of right now, October 14th, 2020, what does this mean for Kansas City? What does that loss mean? Is it panic time? Is it concern time? Is it, you know, big fucking deal? Everybody loses time. They're bored time. We don't know time. What does it mean? Because right now, wouldn't you say, as of right now, as of right now, wouldn't you say that teams like in the AFC, Pittsburgh and Tennessee, wouldn't you say, as of right now, they're playing better or at least comparable? or at least a viable threat right now, I think maybe we're just starting to take Kansas City's brilliance for granted. It's like, yeah, okay, you know, we, we've seen Mahomes do so many great things that it's like, yeah, okay, mm-hmm, yeah. Let me know when it's playoff time, especially when the last two seasons we're speaking about Kansas City making it to the AFC Championship, losing in overtime, a game that they should have won, then going to the Super Bowl, winning, we're talking about the majestic rise of Mahomes in the years that he's had as a starting quarterback. It's, it's, I, don't, I don't know in the NFL because of the physicality of the sport and because of the amount of games that they play that they can, quote unquote, you know, give less than 100%. Everybody who's played football, who knows football, who talks football is, you want to get yourself injured, don't go 100% on the football field. And these, and these players know that especially an Andy Reid coach team. But I don't know. I don't know if it's like the Chiefs are, I mean, the uh, defending champs are like, I don't know, man. I just, we know I can't get, I can't get up for every single game because I've been to the mountaintop. Not with MLK Jr. I've been to the mountaintop in a different type of mountain. And I've seen that brass ring. And I've felt what it's like to be a champion. And I've had that euphoria. And playing on a Sunday afternoon in front of nobody four weeks into the season, uh, not really going there. And we don't know what's happening in these guys' lives. I mean, Patrick Mahomes is going to be a father pretty soon. And, you know, these guys have lives and wives and kids and other responsibilities. So, I mean, you know, it's we don't know. We don't know what's going to be happening from week to week in terms of the there's no dog days in the NFL, but I mean, week four, nothing's going to be, or week five, nothing is going to be cemented in in absolutes. 
Kansas City didn't lose. This isn't college football. Kansas City is not going to lose their opportunity to play for the championship because they were ranked number one and losing to Las Vegas knocks them down to number eight in the polls. And they have to see what exactly Pittsburgh is going to do and the Tennessee Titans and Buffalo and they lost their first game. Now what's going to be happening? None of that bullshit is happening in the NFL. We don't know. They're now four and one. We're still in the first, we're still in first place in the AFC West to a man. We all know that we're the best team in the league if we go ahead and play like we're supposed to be playing. But this is football, and this is only one game. This ain't two out of three. This ain't three out of five. This ain't four out of seven. It takes one bad game to uh, have your season be over. But, of course, that happens in the playoffs, not the fifth week of the season. So, I don't know. I'm not going to raise too much of a fuss or a stink about what happened in Kansas City this past weekend. Las Vegas is Las Vegas is now three and two. And give GM Mike Mayock and uh, head coach John Gruden some credit. They stuck with Carr. They put some players around them that's going to be able to actually have him stretch the field. Henry Ruggs is a guy where it's kind of like, man, he he gets by you, he's gone. You ain't catching up to him. They have a strong running game. Uh, The defense is playing better. So we'll we'll see. Losing to the uh, Las Vegas Raiders in week five of the NFL season is not cause for certain alarm. Defense didn't look good. Now, this continues to be a pattern, and not just speaking about week six, seven, and eight, but the season continues. There's no more interruptions in terms of whoever, whatever, and the defense is playing like this in, say, week 13, 14, and 15, then maybe you should be a little bit concerned. But as of right now, no, no, your Kansas City defending champs uh, fan, don't worry about it. They'll be fine as of right now. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. The Seattle Seahawks continue to roll. Better to be fortunate than lucky, I guess. Huh? Speaking about that game against Minnesota, 27-26. Russell Wilson continues his MVP campaign. Wasn't great. Didn't put up eye-popping numbers. Only 217 yards. Was running around also. Vice were putting a lot of pressure on him. But uh, he got it done when he needed to get it done, if I can use that cliche. Um, through three more touchdown passes. This guy now has 19 TD passes for the season. That puts him on a pace to uh, throw 61 touchdowns. Is that going to happen? No. But uh, as I mentioned before, new story. You see the Russell Wilson for MVP campaign picking up steam. We've seen what happened now with Josh Allen. We've seen what happened with Lamar Jackson, who's not really looking well, passing wide from the pocket. We've seen Patrick Mahomes the last couple of weeks. We've seen that Patrick Mahomes won the MVP recently. We've seen that Lamar Jackson won the MVP recently. We've heard that story about Patrick Mahomes. We've heard that story about Lamar Jackson. Nothing new, nothing fresh. We know the attention span of people in this society, in this world that we live in. It doesn't take long for us to get bored with something and we're looking for a new shiny toy to play with. Russell Wilson has been that that toy in the corner for so long that really hasn't been played with. There's that video game that hasn't been played for a while because Madden 21 came out and everyone's like, goo goo, gaga. That's the one game. Uh, Mortal Kombat came out. Everybody was goo goo, gaga. So, you know, we played that to death. Grand City Auto, we played that to death. The Madden games, we played that to death. And that one video game that was in the corner, it's good. It's really good. But, you know, this has been the shiny new deal. Now, all of a sudden, we get tired of all those things and we come back to what? That one video game that's sitting in the corner. 
Russell Wilson is that one video game that's been sitting in the corner, and he is just playing great. So the campaign for him grows stronger and stronger and stronger. And again, it doesn't hurt that Seattle is 5-0. It doesn't hurt that the defense still has some problems to where Russell Wilson is going to have to continue to cook and do his thing. The defense for Seattle, again, they've allowed almost 1,300 passing yards over the first three games, which is mo- which is the most to begin a season in NFL history. And against Minnesota, it was kind of like, okay, well, you stopped the pass, but against the run, the Vikings ran for 201 yards. So according to the ESPN stats and information, Seattle has given up 2,356 yards through five games, which is the most by any team since the 1950 Baltimore Colts. Who in the fuck gives up that much yards in 1950? The way those teams played. So, wow. Mike Zimmer going forward on fourth down? I don't blame, I don't blame him for that stuff, man. Good for him to try to win a football game. But Anthony Lynn gets roasted and lambasted for not going forward against Kansas City. And Mike Zimmer, the head coach of the Vikings, decides he wants to go for it. But I guess that, again, and the narrative was like this, and I agree with it. It's like, so kicking the field goal gets them an eight-point lead. So you're just on the assumption that, you know what? With the uh, with Russell Wilson, at quarterback, the chances of those guys, fuck the analytics and all that bullshit, the chances of Russell Wilson getting the ball back, not only going down and scoring a touchdown, but also going ahead and getting a two-point conversion makes me say, you know what, I might as well just try to win the game right now and go for it. Again, the Vikings had already run for over 200 yards against the defense. You had Dalvin Cook in the backfield. I mean, why not go ahead and do that? To be aggressive, you go ahead and do your thing, you get it done. You, and and uh, it didn't work. You also have to say, what's up with the defense? The defense, two opportunities to get Wilson off the field on fourth downs. It didn't happen. He still had to go over 80-plus yards to score a touchdown. So I had no problem with the Vikings going for it on fourth down in that situation. And I didn't have a problem with Anthony Lynn kicking it. What was that game? What week was that game? Week two, week three, something like that against Kansas City? So, you know, week two, right? It's all good. Man, the the, uh, (laughs) Chargers can't catch a break. Jeez, man. Uh, don't let that black man go. Do not let Anthony Lynn go. Do not let him go. Do not let him go. Justin Herbert is, uh, that guy's a stud, man. That guy is an absolute stud. Keenan Allen got hurt. Hopefully he'll get back. But, uh, you know, I think the Chargers are going to be one of the, I'm not giving up on the Chargers just yet. Not just yet. They're one of the teams that might not be looking too good right now record-wise, but I think they're going to have a strong second half. I think with the firing of Bill O'Brien, I think the Houston Texans are going to have a uh, a strong second half. It doesn't mean that they're going to make the playoffs. I mean, Indy is still a good team in that division. Tennessee, still a good team in that division. You could easily make the argument that the AFC out and South, the mouth of the South, Jimmy Hart, <laughs> baby, honky tonk, baby. You can say that uh, the AFC South is the best uh, conference in football. But uh, I think those are two of the teams that come to mind. Houston and the Los Angeles Chargers, who I think are going to have strong second halves if the season goes goes to plan. Now, will that happen? We don't know. But interesting week in week five in the NFL. And still, there's more to come.
Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. What's happening? What is going on? About the This is the last segment. Let me talk about some more news in the NFL. The return of Alex Smith for the Washington, where the worst skins played in an NFL football game for the first time in 693 days. Fuck it, ain't right, man. Good job. Awesome job. Glad to see his wife and children at the, at the game cheering him on. So those who don't remember, Alex Smith suffered a broken leg, a horrific broken leg, on November 18th, 2018, an injury that nearly cost Smith his life due to post-surgical infections and subsequent operations he endured. Uh, but he got back on and, uh, you know, I mean, he replaced Kyle Allen after he got lit up by Aaron Donald. And uh, it was good to see him on the field, even though, again, I'm just kind of like, man, you're going to put him behind that offensive line for the uh, for the Washingtons. We can't do shit skins. <laughs> I mean, all right. He was sacked six times. He, uh, you know, he did all right. And look, I'm, I'm happy that Alex Smith got the opportunity. I think it's uh, I think it's heroic what he did. Talks about the man, the character, Alex Smith, to do what he did. I think it's awesome. A great role model, great father for him to say, you know, one of the reasons why, one of the things that motivated me to go ahead and do this is to show my kids, you know, that uh, you put your mind to it and you have the opportunity to do it and you're in the right frame of mind, you know, you can get it done. I think that's an awesome message. And I think Alex Smith is just awesome, fantastic, wonderful, all those type of things. I mean, enough, I can't say enough, glowing, fantastic, wonderful things about Alex Smith and the story of him coming back and uh, doing what he did against the Los Angeles Rams, man. It should be like one of those deals where I'm just too bad that it wasn't the Super Bowl and he threw the game-winning pass or made the game-winning play at the end and then he walked off of the field with the MVP trophy as the uh, Rocky theme song by Bill Conti uh, was was blasting in the background. Would have been awesome. Would have been awesome. But... uh, Let's talk the major thing here. For me being a Washingtonian, for me growing up in Silver Spring, Maryland, which is part of the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area, born in Washington, D.C., moved out to Silver Spring, Maryland at the young age of five or six years old, still consider Washington, the Washington metropolitan area, my home. Washington area, that's me. That's what I'm all about. That would bleed through my veins. Lived in Arizona. Lived in Sweetwater, Tennessee. Lived in Baltimore, Maryland. Lived in the Bay Area in Oakland. Lived in San Diego, California. Lived all over the places. Been to many places. Seen many things. Always, always, always grounded. Always Washington, D.C. metropolitan area. Silver Spring, Maryland. That's what I'm all about. Aspen Hill community. That's what I'm all about. That's where, you know. So for me, great, wonderful, fantastic that Alex Smith did all these things. Bigger picture. The Washington football team is still in embarrassment. It's still a joke. It's still a clown show. It's still the most dysfunctional sport. It's still still the most dysfunctional team in the sport. Maybe it's sports in general. We have an owner that's an embarrassment. We have an owner that shouldn't be running the team. We have an owner that shouldn't be owning the team. Again, I don't know what we can do. Is V. Stiviano still around? If there's somehow, some way we can get V. Stiviano on the case where we can have her call him up and maybe he can say something inflammatory that can be recorded. It, how about, can we get the people who set up Barry and Barry in that hotel room years ago? 
Can we do that with Daniel Snyder? Can we do anything, anything to get that guy to relinquish the control of that team? Please, please, please. Like my name is James Brown, please. Is there anything that we can do? Because that guy's a fucking joke. And as I mentioned before, I want that motherfucking team to lose every single fucking game. Because I'm looking at big picture. Because Kyle Allen ain't going to get it done at the quarterback. Dwayne Haskins, goddamn. Dwayne Haskins, not only was that guy demoted from the first string quarterback position, that motherfucker wasn't even at the stadium. I don't know if we'll ever even see Dwayne Haskins anywhere near the Washington franchise organization anywhere. I don't think he's going to be at, at the camp on the grounds. I think, I mean, they're already looking to trade the guy. He's done. That motherfucker went from starting quarterback to now you don't even have to show up. Well, you know, he had a sinus infection. He was sick. Bullshit. Yeah, like if that guy was starting somehow, some way, he wouldn't have shown up, right? Get out of here. That guy is done. The fall from Dwayne Haskins. Now we're going to go with Kyle Allen and Alex Smith. I mean, moving forward, what are we doing here? You, you tell me why... What's the what's the incentive of winning games if you're a fan? Look, if you're a player, you win every game you can because, you know, this is your job. This is your profession. If you're not playing for this team, you know, what's being done is, you know, you're putting yourself on tape to apply for other jobs around the NFL as a defensive end or a defensive back or a running back, wide receiver, whatever. So you go ahead and you do what you can to, you know, play your best and hope the team wins. So even if you're not part of the team moving forward, you know, you have your resume set up to where you can get another job and continue to live the lifestyle that you're living. But God damn, as a fan, I have no fucking interest in seeing this team win a game. I want Trevor, I want Trevor fucking Lawrence. I want Trevor Lawrence, that guy from Clemson. And I'm a little hesitant to say it because if anybody can destroy a, a, a really good football player, is Daniel Snyder. If there's one organization that could sap any type of potential or any type of anything positive from a football team, it's the Washington dysfunctional skins. So for a league, as I mentioned before, I would be a little bit afraid if the thought of one of the most gifted, one of the most highly prospected quarterbacks in the last 10, 15 years, is going to be going to an organization like the Washington Snyder Skins or the New York Jets. If I'm the NFL, that would scare the shit out of me to the point of where it's like, you know, Trevor, how, 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 um, you know, how strong is your belief that you're going to be going to the NFL next year? Well, I've already announced that I'm going this, that, and the other. Yeah, I know, but damn, you realize that, you know, <clears throat> there's a great chance that you could be drafted by two of the worst organizations in sports, right? I mean, you got to take a look at your future. You got to take a look at you as a, you know, take a be selfish for once and think about you as a football player. You have the opportunity, if you live up to your potential, to be a Hall of Famer, to be the best quarterback in the league for years to come. You could be right up there with Patrick Mahomes and, and, and Deshaun Watson and, Lamar Jackson and maybe Josh Allen and then those guys. You could be you could be just as good or better than any, any of those guys. But you're risking that type of potential if you go to a dumpster fire 
to a clusterfuck, which is the Washington football team and the New York Jets. I mean, stay another year in Clemson, is that the worst thing that could happen to you? Peyton Manning stayed four years at Tennessee when he could have been the number one draft pick as a junior. Did pretty well, made a boatload of money, won Super Bowl championships, going into the Hall of Fame. You sure you want to? I mean, you saw what Washington did with RG3, right? You see what the Jets are doing with Sam Darnold, right? You see through five games already that the Jets are not going to fire Adam Gaze, right? Uh, you see what's happening with the organization under the stewardship of Daniel Snyder with the Washington embarrassing skins. With the Washington, I can't still believe I'm still a fan of their skins. The Washington, I'm still ashamed to say that I'm a fan of theirs, but I still am skins. I mean, are you sure, Trevor, that you want to... I mean, hopefully, I don't know, maybe the, maybe the 49ers can tank and then the Jets in Washington can win a couple of games and maybe San Francisco can get the number one draft pick. Who knows? Boy, would that be a blessing, right? But but I'm just saying, it's it's as much as I want to see my team do well, I know the reality of it all. And I know that not even someone like Trevor Lawrence going to the Washington football team, even under the guidance and leadership and coaching of Ron Rivera, a guy who took a team to the Super Bowl only a couple of years ago. As long as Daniel Snyder is the, as long as Daniel Snyder is still the owner of that football team, no matter how good the punch is, there's still going to be a big piece of shit in that punch bowl. Do you want to drink that? Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. Another comeback story that's not getting the, the respect that it deserves in terms of someone coming back from a horrific injury is the Carolina Panthers quarterback, Teddy Bridgewater. I think he's done, I think he's, I don't know, because Alex Smith was talking about life-threatening, but what Bridgewater is doing and what he's done is just unbelievable. And really, if you think about the stories between Smith and Bridgewater and the things that they had to go through, a lot of similarities there. When you're speaking about Bridgewater, this was a rising star, former first-round pick. Remember, this was a guy in his senior year in Louisville. There was thought that maybe he would be the number one pick in the draft, and then he came out in the combine and was horrific and was terrible. And, you know, was he wearing gloves? Should he have been wearing gloves? And then the situation about, well, his arm strength and everything like that. So he fell, 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 all the way down to the Minnesota Vikings who picked him up but with him. You know, he was... He won a division title with Minnesota. I believe they lost to, uh, didn't they lose to Seattle in the first round of the playoffs when Minnesota was still playing outdoors? I don't know. I don't know. Age. But he was, uh, he was doing great work. And then he suffered a horrendous knee injury in practice before the 2016 season. There was fear that, you know, Bridgewater would lose his leg from the injury in practice. He missed all of 2016 rehabbing. Then he threw two passes in 2017, 23 passes in 2018. Then in 2019, thank Jesus for Sean Payton threw him a lifeline. And he filled in uh, for Drew Brees, started five games, went 5-0, had the opportunity to soak up the tutelage and the knowledge of someone like a Drew Brees, someone like a Sean Payton. And uh, he took that opportunity and he ran with it. 
So this past all season, that's right, he ran with it. This past all season, he signed for uh, three years, $63 million for, uh, with Carolina. And, you know, people thought that not only is Carolina going to stink, they thought that he, they'd really stink once Christian McCaffrey went down. Well, for all of those in the NFL, and it would be pretty sweet if you really think about it, even though Bridgewater signed and the story's great and everything, it would have been kind of sweet in a way if Carolina was the one who had the number one pick. And then you get someone like Trevor Lawrence, who's from that same region, that same area, and he can play in, in uh, Charlotte. In that area, you don't think that boom would be great for the NFL in terms of that market uh, becoming uh, hysterical and excited with the drafting of Trevor Lawrence, but it ain't going to happen because they've gone 3-0 and since McCaffrey went down, and Teddy Bridgewater has been a big part of that. Against Atlanta this past weekend, he had 261 yards and two touchdowns in the first half, which is the second most passing yards in the first half of a game in Carolina Panthers history. He threw for 313 yards and a pair of touchdowns for the game. Look, I mean, you know, as my man Jay Wex said, pointed out, Carolina's, one thing we know about them, they're well coached. And one thing about Teddy Bridgewater, again, Ultimately, is he going to be a guy as a quarterback, the way he plays, his strengths, his weaknesses, what they're asking him to do? Is he going to be a guy that's ever going to be elite? Is he ever going to be a guy that you can put a team on his back and lead, and he can lead them to a championship or a Super Bowl or a division title? No, he's not that kind of quarterback. Even when he was drafted, he wasn't that type of quarterback. But this is a guy who, at the quarterback position, if you surround him, with complimentary talent, not overwhelmingly great talent, but really good talent, good talent. This is a guy who's going to win you 10, 11, 12 football games a year. He's not going to make mistakes. He's not going to make you know bad decisions. He's going to keep you in ball games. He's not going to be the reason why you lose ball games. And those attributes right there are good for at least six or seven wins, you know, wins a season. Now he's going to have some games where he's not going to be great. He's not going to have games where he's going to be like unbelievably great. But again, those type of quarterbacks, you surround them with talent. That Those are playoff caliber quarterbacks. Not Super Bowl champion quarterbacks, but playoff caliber quarterbacks. And everything that Bridgewater had to go through, not just with the injury, which again, which was the biggest obstacle in his football playing career, but, you know, overcoming the doubters about, um, and, you know, when he came into the draft, I mean, Teddy Bridgewater is a leader, as someone that uh, you would want as a leader on your football team. And doggone good for him. Good for Alex Smith and good for Teddy Bridgewater. But I think the Teddy Bridgewater, Bridgewater is um, just as impressive or even more impressive than Alex Smith, whose comeback is incredibly impressive. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Let me end with this, Dan Quinn. And Thomas Dimitrioff was fired on Sunday from the Atlanta Falcons. It's about damn time, shit. The team is currently 0-5 to start the season. The Falcons opened their season by dropping to, you know, losing the game to Seattle. Okay, but after Chicago and Dallas, it was like, all right, man, you got to go. Okay, games against the Cowboys and Bears. They blew fourth quarter leads of 15-plus. That's the first time that's been done in NFL history, according to the LA Sports Bureau. Look, Dan Quinn never recovered from blowing a 28-3 lead in the third quarter in the Super Bowl. After that, he went 24-29 and in three seasons since then. He's had a guy who in that season won the MVP and Matt Ryan, who has failed to deliver anything close 
to uh, those things. He has an elite receiver in Julio Jones, who's only averaging, what, three or four touchdown passes a year. He went through offensive coordinators like they were going out of style. And with him being a guy who was supposed to be a defensive guru, from what he's shown when he was defensive coordinator under Pete Carroll at um, Seattle, you take a look at the defense over the past couple of seasons, they've given up 25, 25, and 32 points per game. Now, the 32 points were through five games, but do you think that was going to get remarkably better? No. So it was time for, after six seasons, I mean, I don't think Dan Quinn is a horrible coach. I don't think that this should disqualify him three to four years down the road for getting a being a strong considerate for another head coaching job if he can rehabilitate himself by being a defensive coordinator somewhere else. But, um, you know, the the the, um, the move to fire him and Dimitrioff was, uh, was justified. Now Rich, now, uh, Rich McKay is going to be the one that's going to be taking over the day-to-day operations. Raheem Morris is going to be the interim coach. So we'll see what happens. And the NFL better not try some bullshit by talking about, hey, what are you talking about? We don't hire black coaches. Romeo Cornell, Raheem Morris. What the fuck? No, nah, man. No, nah, no. Nah. Nice try, but ain't buying it. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. We'll be end with Le'Veon Bell, released by the New York Jets. Was with the team for only 19 months after signing a four-year, $52.5 million contract with the team. J-E-T-S, Jets, Jets, Jets. 17 games with New York. He rushed for 873 yards, three touchdown passes. He only averaged 3.3 yards per carry with New York. That's 51st out of 53 qualified runners in the NFL during the span. So the statement was, after having conversations with Le'Veon and his agent and exploring potential trade options over the past couple of days, we have made the decision to release Le'Veon. Now, as a vested veteran, Bell is not subject to waivers, and he will be a free agent starting today at 4 p.m., which he is right now. So there you go with that. Interesting to see where he's going to go with that. I don't know if he's... Don't know if, if he can go somewhere like a contending team, like say for instance the Buffalo Bills, maybe a team like Seattle who might need some running back help. Kansas City who could use some running back help. Excuse me, I gotta sneeze. <laughs> Thank you. So um, you know, I don't know exactly where he's going to be going, but um, I think Bell has some stuff left. I mean, you know, Adam Gaze, the situation. I mean, when you come to a situation in New York where your head coach is like, well. I don't think we really needed to sign him to start things off in that relationship. You can kind of tell that's not going to work. So good luck to Le'Veon Bell and the Jets are a train wreck. All right, I am done. I am out of here. I am going to go ahead and watch Houston play um, Tampa in the ALCS. Let's hope that Jose Altuve can throw the ball to first and second. So he can kind of not deal with the yips. So, yeah. I want to thank you very much for listening. I want to uh, end this program with a little Isley Brothers, Harvest for the Storm. That's what I've been grooving and jamming on. I actually sang this. I also made, I made a YouTube video for my wonderful, fabulous, beautiful, talented, single, wonderful, great goddaughter, Sydney Davis, my favorite human being under the age of 51. Made a video of me singing this to her. She loved it. So, you know, I've still got that in my mind. And in my heart, play that a lot. Like picking up the, when I pick up the young kids, when I Uber, like the young kids I'm speaking about anywhere like, you know, 18, 24, 25, I always throw on the good stuff. I always talk about, you know, with the music, 
I go I go to Levi Stubbs. I go to the Four Tops. I go to Curtis Mayfield. I go to Donnie Hathaway. I go to Otis Redding. I go to Sam Cooke. I go to Al Green. I go to Luther Bandros. I give these kids just a little something a little bit different. You know, I don't play any rap music because the cursing and everything, I don't want anybody talking about, eh, you know, I, Someone gives me one star because of cursing and anything like that. But when I get the young kids, it's my job to educate them correctly. It's my job to let them know that the bullshit and the garbage and the trash that you guys are listening to, because I hear it when I'm in the classrooms in Clark County, in the classrooms at school, you know, when they had kids in the classroom and I was in the classroom in Clark County, I hear that bullshit that you all listen to. And I'll say, get off my lawn. I'll go get off my lawn on this one. But doggone it, how can you not? How can you not be educated on such artists as Teddy Pendergrass? How can you not be educated and know the, know the music, some of the greatest music or some of the greatest hits of someone like a fat Luther, when Luther was fat, Luther Vandross? When we're speaking about Curtis Mayfield, even Curtis Mayfield with the impressions. When you're speaking about Sam Cooke, when you're speaking about James Brown, when you're speaking about Anita Baker. I mean, how in the hell can you still be living and not hear caught up in the rapture? Are you fucking kidding me? You should know that Anita Baker started out with Chapter 13 and her first album with them was absolutely fantastic. How can you not know this? I don't blame the kids. I blame the fucking parents. Sit your kids down. You want to listen to a little Beatles? You want to listen to a little Johnny Cash? You want to listen to a little some of that? You go ahead and do that. But you make sure also, you make sure also, you make sure also that you get them inundated, that you get them educated, that you get them learned on the greatness of a Sam Cooke, of a Ray Charles, of a Teddy Pendergrass, of a Four Tops, of the Temptations, of Levi Stubbs in the Four Tops. When we're speaking about Diana Ross, let them know about Florence Ballard. Let them know about... What's happening with Jerry Butler? Let them know what's happening with all the fabulous artists, which paved the way so the kids can be listening to the garbage that they listen to today. And don't even let me get into the rap music where we're speaking about Rob Kim, where we're speaking about Big Daddy, where we're speaking about Heavy D, where we're speaking about Nas, where we're speaking about Big L, where we're speaking about Big Pun, where we're speaking about Public Enemy, where we're speaking about EPMD, when we're speaking about East Coast rap. Don't let them listen to Easy E. Don't let them listen to all that bullshit and that nonsense that was coming out of Texas, that was coming out of Houston, that was coming out of Louisiana. No, no, no. Don't let them listen to E-40. Don't let them listen to Too Short and all them and all them jokers up in Northern California. No, 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 no. Let them listen to Cool G Rap. Let them listen to Cool Bo D. Let them listen to uh, D Nice. Let them listen to Method Man. Let them listen to Red Man. Let them listen to some music for real, man. God damn it. <laughs> man, that's music today. That's all you hear. That rap music is all you hear. Shit, nigga, bitch, motherfucker, nigga, shit. Fit, nigga, nigga. I mean, can y'all motherfuckers say anything else other than shit, nigga, bitch, fuck, damn, nigga, hood, shit? That's the only thing they say. That's the only thing they say. How is that rhyme? How is that poetry? How is that creativity? I mean, damn, y'all make the diggable planet sound like brand Nubian when y'all talk about that. <laughs> Oh, shit, nigga, what a bitch, motherfucker, shit, whole nigga, bitch, fuck, nigga, nigga, shit, motherfucker, nigga, shit, nigga, fuck, nigga, it's like, what am I listening to? What the hell am I listening to? I got these kids up here in the sticks who don't know a black person from, from whoever, 
and this is what we're this is what we're presenting to them. This is what they think is cool. This is what they think what keeping it real, keeping it one hundred is all about. Shit, nigga, bunch motherfucking nigga shit. Well, the whole bitch nigga fuck shoot the motherfucking nigga shit. Fuck it. Ooh, my work is never done. Mm. Oh. Us Obama Negroes, our works are never done, are they? All right, now I'm really out of here. I want to end it with a little Isley Brothers. Take care of yourself. Be strong. Be learned. Be woke. Be educated. Be compassionate to each other. Listen, learn, learn, listen. Love y'all. Peace. Music. Children.